Well, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to the book of John, the Gospel of John. So I want to ask a question this morning, and that is, what is the greatest human need beyond that of food and water? Now, if you go out onto the street corner and ask that question, or if you go to a local university like Ohio State or Columbus State Community College, and you pose that question, you're going to probably get a lot of different answers, but I'm going to answer that question for you definitively this morning. That the greatest need beyond that of food and water, other than clothing and shelter and all that kind of stuff, is we need love. We need love. And I have evidence for that this morning to prove that I'm right. And it's pretty profound evidence. You want me to share my evidence with you this morning? I'll share it with you. The evidence that love is the greatest need is the Hallmark Channel. (laughs) Isn't that right, Nancy? My cousin Nancy loves the Hallmark Channel. I've seen every one of them. Well, no, I've just seen one story, but a bunch of different movies. But the Hallmark Channel is one of the greatest evidence. Why? Because it's all about love. I was Googling, do you know that there are now over 15... We tried to keep him quiet. It didn't work. Oh, he's going to hear me. Okay. So I get to do Rod Parsley style. <laughs> no, thanks. No, I'm not going to do Rod Parsley doctrine, just Rod Parsley with the microphone there. Amen. Amen. I can go with the microphone. Don't worry about me on that. But yeah, there's over 1,500 dating sites and apps. And I found this out. There have been over 100 million love songs recorded. Think about that, 100 million love songs that have been recorded. There used to be one Jackie Deshawn wrote. It said, what the world needs now is love, sweet love. It's the only thing that there's just not enough of. Pearl Bailey took that and said, what the world really needs is love and less paperwork. Okay, we can put that in there. But the reality is that we all need love, and you're probably the greatest evidence of it because you're constantly seeking love, whether it's in a relationship with others or it is a relationship with God. The problem is, the same problem, do you want to put the batteries in? Yeah, you can come on. You can come on. Come on. Dun, dun, da, dun, 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 da, dun. <laughs> Ooh, that tickles. <laughs> Did it work? I don't know. We'll see. It's on. We got it sound. 
You got sound? There we go. We're good to go. Thank you, my brothers. Give the sound team a round of applause. What happened? Did, While I break stuff. I thought you fell. No, I didn't. Oh, you knocked that down. All right. We're getting off to a great start this morning. Amen? We're getting there. But um, one of the problems that we have when we talk about love is the same problem that we guys have, okay? Guys, how many of you husbands or boyfriends have ever gotten the ominous call from the wife saying, would you go to the grocery store and get X? And you go to the grocery store, you've never gone for item X before in your life, and so what happens is you wander up and down the the aisles, and you go down this aisle, and you can't find it, you go down this. Finally, what we all do have to do as men is we finally have to suck it up and ask somebody, where is it? And the person takes us to the right location, and we find out we've really been looking for it in all the wrong places. There was a song that was written, you know, we're looking for love in all the wrong places. And nothing has really changed. We're still looking for love in all the wrong places. And that's why for the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about the subject of love. Valentine's is coming around the corner, but it's not just any love. Today, we're going to consider the greatest love, God's love. Brennan Manning wrote these words. He said, we should be astonished at the goodness of God, stunned that he should bother to call us by our names, our mouths wide open at his love, bewildered that at this very moment we're standing on holy ground. When we think about the holiness of God, we think about standing on holy ground, but have we ever stopped to really consider the fact that when it comes to the love of God, we're standing on holy ground? Rick Warren said, God's love is like an ocean. You can see its beginning, but not its end. You stood on the shores and you look out and you think, this thing never ends, especially when you're a little child and you don't know your geography yet. You just assume it goes on forever and ever. So we're going to consider the greatest love, God's love, using the greatest verse that has ever been written on the love of God. John chapter 3, verse 16. Jesus speaks these words, not Paul, not John, but Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We really are on holy ground as we think about this particular verse. G. Campbell Morgan, one of the great British preachers, said, this is a text that I never attempted to preach on, though I've gone around it and around it. It is too big. When I have read it and there's nothing else to say, if we only knew how to read it so as to produce a sense of it in the ears of people, there really would be nothing to preach about. Really, there's nothing really more to say than what that particular verse says, other than maybe unpack it and look at it a little bit. But it, I kind of feel like this morning like the master diamond cutter. 
And they bring the most expensive diamond that has ever been produced and place it on his table. And he's looking at that diamond, about to make his cut, realizing that he's about to touch the most precious stone in all of the world. And he trembles and he fears as he gets ready to do it, lest he in some way not do it right and he mar or ruin what is so beautiful. But we're going to try to do that in two short sermons. Two short sermons. There was a ranger in his 80s in Yosemite. My cousins are from California, and I've uh, been to Yosemite many, many times. But this little city girl was there and asked this park ranger, who's now 80 years of age, been doing this for years and years, said, if you only had one hour to visit Yosemite, what would you do? The ranger pondered for a moment, and he looked at the little girl and he said, if I only had one hour to visit Yosemite, I would go over on that rock and cry my eyes out. Maybe that's what we need to do this morning. That we only have a short while to really consider one of the greatest verses about the greatest love that has ever existed. But we're going to try to do that this morning. We're going to unpack it. And we're going to do this word by word. You've heard of verse by verse preaching. This is going to be word by word preaching. So if you got your notes this morning, buckle in and let's go this morning. First of all, I want you to see from the verse that we're looking at the unchangeableness. The unchangeableness of the greatest love. Jesus starts and he says, for God so loved the world. The for is not an accident. It connects us to what has happened before. And what has happened before is a story that we're all familiar with. Go back up to, to verse 1. It says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. He was a ruler of the Jews. That is, he was on the top echelon of the religious rulers of his day. And this man came to Jesus by night because he dare not come in the day when others might see him and he would be embarrassed. And he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God for no one else, no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus responds to him and says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So Jesus at this point introduces the whole concept of, of being born again, which was totally foreign to Nicodemus. It went right over his head. In fact, he said to him in verse 4, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he go back a second time into his mother's womb and be born? So obviously Nicodemus has gone to the physical and said, okay, how can I go back as a grown man and be born physically again? And Jesus said to him, no, no, no. Truly I say to you, unless you are born of water and of the Spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. That is, there was a movement of God. Something happened that led us, and, and there's no way to, to box the Holy Spirit in in terms of the way that he's going to work in people's lives. It will be unique and different from every person in this room and those watching on the Internet. Well, Nicodemus then comes back and says, well, how can these things be? 
how, how can there be this born-again experience? He says, are you a teacher of the Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And here's the key. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life for God so loved the world. He gave his only son. In the wilderness, he connects it to this whole episode. And again, we don't have a time to go back to Numbers where you can read about the story of when the children of Israel rebelled against God and God got angry with them. It's found in Numbers 21. And so God sent fiery serpents that were biting the people and the people were dying. And Moses interceded and God said, raise up a bronze serpent and everybody that will by faith trust me and look at that serpent, which makes absolutely no sense because if there are serpents, where are you normally looking? You're looking at your feet, right? You're looking down. But God says, you look up and look at that bronze serpent. And if you'll trust me and look at that bronze serpent, then I will save you. And Jesus says here, that's what Moses did. That's what God did. In the wilderness, God gave a serpent, but at Calvary, God gave his son. In the wilderness, God delivered us from the sting of the serpent. At Calvary, he delivered us from the sting of sin. But why did he do this? And that's the point of connecting the four to what has previously happened. Why did God do this? Because he loved us. God loved in the wilderness and gave in a serpent. God loved at Calvary and gave his son. Now, there are a lot of critics today, and I heard those when I was going to college. There were those critics that would say, well, the God of the Old Testament is different from the God of the New Testament. Have you ever heard that? Yeah. The God of the Old Testament is a God of what? Wrath. He's a God of judgment. He's a God of punishment. Look what he does. See all those things where he sends serpents and floods and all these other things. God of the Old Testament is a God of wrath. But when you come to the New Testament, then now we find that God is a God of love. He has changed. He is different. But nothing could be further from the truth. You see, God didn't wake up one day and change from the Old Testament to the New Testament and say to himself, you know, I need to do a little better here. I, I've been a God of wrath for too long. It's time for me to be a God of love, so I'm going to write the New Testament. The truth is, he's never changed. Turn your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4. Hold your fingers there in John. Go to John chap 1 John chapter 4. Not the gospel of John, but the first epistle of John, chapter 4 and verse 16. And listen to this verse. So we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. Do you see that? Now look at what it says next. God is what? Love. Present tense. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. God has, is, 
and always will be love. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is unchanging, therefore his love is unchanging as well. And you see these people that say, well, the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament, they seem to be different because the God of the Old Testament is wrathful and the God of the New Testament is a God of love, hasn't really read their Old Testament Bibles. In the Old Testament, the writers spoke often, more often than the wrath of God, of the love of God. They used a Hebrew word, hesed, which is translated the steadfast love or a loyal love, or a dedicated love, or a covenant love. It was the the word that was describing the love relationship between God and his people, which was a covenant kind of love. Listen to some of these verses. I'm just going to rattle them off if you want to write them down. Exodus chapter 15, verse 13, right off the bat. You, God, have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. Exodus chapter 20, verses 5 and 6. You shall not bow down to other gods or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me. See, there he is. Here is that God of of wrath and hatred. But he says in verse 6, but showing steadfast love to thousands who love me and keep my commandments. Numbers 14, verse 18. The Lord is slow to anger, and abounding, abundant, overflowing in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgressions. Psalm 36, verse 5. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens and your faithfulness to the clouds. That is, it is as vast as the heavens that are unfolding before us. Isaiah chapter 54, verse 10, For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says Yahweh, who has compassion on you. Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 24, But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. That he understands and knows me. Okay? That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love. Let him boast in this that he knows me. You know, these people that want to say, oh, the God of the Old Testament, God of the New Testament, they're different. They need to follow what Jeremiah here says and, and learn to really know God. And if they really know God, they're going to know that he's a God of steadfast love justice and righteousness for these things i delight that is i want you to delight in my steadfast love and there's so many other verses that we can consider and certainly when we come to the new testament we can find verses over and over again that talk about the love of god but why do we need to read all those when we're standing in front of john 3:16 amen for god so loved the world what is he saying the four there is that god's love is unchanging God's love is unchanging. His love for you and for me is unchanging. That is, God's love is not like the fickle love that we see portrayed on reality TV, The Bachelor, The Bachelorette. God's love doesn't change like the wind. It isn't off and on. It isn't unstable. It's not hot one day and cold the next day. It's not moody. 
God's love is an unchanging love. And when we experience that love, we never have to fear that God will suddenly withdraw his love from us. Amen? That God will suddenly begin to deal with us in a different way because of maybe something that we did. Sure, just like with a parent, when we do wrong, that parent has to move into the place of enforcer or discipliner. But that doesn't change the fact that he still loves that child very much. Amen? Same thing with God. How he treats us and how he deals with us may differ, but his love is absolutely unchanging for... God so loved the world. But then look, second of all, at the source of the greatest love, God. Right there we ought to stop. God. And if Pastor Greg was up here and he said, I love you, you go, thank you, Pastor Greg. And some of you would say, well, it's okay that Pastor Greg loves. But why don't you hear this morning? It says, for God loved. Do I need to try to some way paint a picture of who God is? Or do we understand that? I think all of you here this morning do because most of you are biblical students. We could talk about his holiness, his righteousness, his sovereignty, his infiniteness. You have all of his names written on the walls up here. Jehovah Rophe, the Lord that heals. Jehovah Shalom, the God that, that uh, brings peace. Jehovah Tisiskanu, the Lord who is righteous. Jehovah Nisa, the Lord that's a banner over me. I mean, we could go on and on about who this God is and that he's this infinite God that is above and beyond anything that we can comprehend. Our highest thoughts cannot begin to box God in. Just when we think we've got God figured out and we think we've got him fit into the boxes of our mind and our theology, God breaks out because he's bigger than all of those things. And yet this God says, I love you. I want you to make it personal. Take your finger. We're going to do it this morning. Take your finger. Come on. Everybody's got a pointer finger. If you don't have a pointer finger, use your pinky finger. Don't use your middle finger. Okay? Take your pointer finger. Point it at yourself. Point it at yourself and say, God loves me. Say it. Say it real loud. God loves me. Amen. Now put that finger and point it at somebody next to you and say, God loves you. Now, you, notice, you know what I, I saw? I saw us laugh. You know what I found out? We laugh when we're kind of embarrassed about something, don't we? The fruit, friends, the truth is God loves us. Jonathan Edwards, one of the most brilliant minds that ever was produced in America, said, there in heaven, this infinite fountain of love, this eternal 3-1-1, is set open without any obstacle to hinder access to it as it flows forever. There, this glorious God is manifested and shines forth in full glory, 
in beams of love. You ever seen the sun after a rain? You see the beams coming down, the beams of love. And there this glorious fountain forever flows forth in streams, yea, in rivers of love and delight. And these rivers swell, as it were, to an ocean of love in which the souls of the ransom may bathe with the sweetest enjoyment and their hearts, as it were, be deluged with love. We have the privilege, my friends, because of the source to literally bathe shower and be deluged in the love of God. I don't like floods, but when it comes to the love of God, I love floods. Amen? Amen. Augustine wrote, God loves each one of us as if there were only one of us to love. Now, I wish that I could say I love every single one of you equally. I wish I could, but I can't. I can't love you with that kind of love, but this God that we worship is the God that can love every single one of you in this room personally, personally, individually, and uniquely. You say, well, how can he do that? I don't know, and if I could tell you, he wouldn't be God, amen? But he does. And he says here, I have loved you for God is the one that loves us. In Israel's darkest hour, God spoke these words to them. He says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I continued in my faithfulness to you. Yes, I have loved you. And here's where we get it all wrong. We're looking all the wrong places. We're looking at for love in sex, or we're looking for it in relationships, or we're looking for it in marriage, or wherever we're looking for this love in our friendships. We're going all over these places. We're looking for love. We've all seen the, the little girl that just keeps going into abusive relationship after abusive relationship, looking for love. And God stands in his heavenly throne and says, I love you. Will you listen? Will you listen? And I will love you with a true love. The source of this love, God. But then notice, third of all, the intensity of the greatest love. For God so... Say that word with me. So... But give it some emphasis. So... Here we see the intensity of God's love. For God, he could have just said loved. But he stops and he says, for God so loved. God didn't sort of love us. God didn't kind of love us. God didn't vaguely love us. God didn't sentimentally love us. And God didn't begrudgingly love us. Have you ever had somebody that you begrudgingly loved? I have. I've been a pastor, so I've dealt with some of you Baptists. And sometimes you as a pastor just begrudgingly love you anyway. But God doesn't do that. God so loved. We sang a song a moment ago about the furious love of God. God intensely and fiercely loves us. I'd like to think that I have that kind of love towards my wife, but this morning I didn't make coffee from her, and I made her mad at me this morning. 
If I fiercely loved her, I would have gotten up and made coffee for her. But, but I'm not that way. Sometimes I, I mess up. But I want you to know the reason why I didn't, because I was getting my sermon already this morning. You see the halo? Yeah, Cindy just rolled her eyes at me. I'll, I'll pay for that later. Look over at Ephesians chapter 2. Go over there real quick. Ephesians chapter 2. Love these verses. Ephesians is one of my favorite books of the Bible, although Philippians is one of my, getting to be one of my favorite. I'm doing a Bible conference on the book of Philippians. Hint, hint, tell Pastor Greg to have me come back and do it. But look what he says, and let's go to verse 1. He says, And you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of what? His great love. Now, the great is literally there in the original language. Paul inserted a Greek word there to make sure you understood that this is not just love. This is super abounding, intense, furious, fierce love that God has for us. The great love, not the average love, not the common love, not the normal love, the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, God made us alive together in Christ Jesus. I want you to understand this morning the intensity of this love that God has for you. The passion of God's love for you. The fierceness of God's love for you. The depth of God's love for you. I want you to understand this morning that this is not your average Joe Hallmark kind of love. For God so then the word loved. Look next, fourth of all, at the nature of the greatest love. The nature of this greatest love. He loved. The word here, you've heard this before, is the word agape. It's used over 320 times in various forms in the New Testament. It's the primary word for love. There really was no concept of the kind of love that Paul is talking about here in, in ancient Greek. The primary word they would use is the word phileo, which is we get our word uh, Philadelphia or brotherly love so it was kind of a relational friendship kind of love but but the Bible lifts this word up agape and turns it into a word that is incomparable Weist, the great Greek scholar said of this word agape it is a love called out of a person's heart by an awakened sense of value in an object which causes one to prize it it expresses a love of approbation and esteem. It is, its impulse comes from the idea of prizing. It is a love that recognizes the worthiness of the object love. Thus this love consists of the soul's sense of the value and preciousness of its object and its response 
to its recognized worth in admiring affection. Let me break that down for you. God prizes us. God values us. And God delights in us. God prizes us. We are his most prized possession. I don't feel that way. God didn't ask you if you felt that way. I don't think that way about myself. I don't think of myself as a prized possession. God didn't ask you what you thought of yourself. My mom and dad didn't treat me as a prized possession. They abused me. God didn't ask you how your parents treated you. He says, I prize you. I agape you. I value you. Even when you don't value yourself. And I delight in you. Now, what makes it hard for us, folks, is we know who we are, right? Right? And if we had a way this morning to project every single one of your thoughts and your history in a flash on this, most of us would be humiliated. And so we don't feel that, that sense of why would God prize us? Because what do we do? We prize our Lamborghini, but we despise our Volkswagen Beetle that mom and dad handed down to us after 50 generations. We, we prize that big mansion. We despise the rickety shack that we may live in. So we only prize what we think has value, and we do the same thing with ourselves. So I'm going to share something this morning that's going to absolutely astound you this morning. But I'm going to need Brian to help me out. Brian, come up here if you would. Yeah, Yeah, give Brian a round of applause. We love Brian, don't we? Now I'm going to offer Brian the opportunity of a lifetime. The opportunity of a lifetime. I have in front of me a First Baptist Church plastic pen. Now, let me ask you a question, Brian. How much do you think that this thing is worth, truthfully? Come on. 75 cents. 70, is that right, Barb? Because you buy these things. Now, cheaper than that? Lower? Lower? Uh, price is right. Come on. You're not going to win the all-expense-paid trip to nowhere. No wonder that thing never writes for me. 52, 52 cents. Cent. 52 cents. So I'm going to give my friend the opportunity of a lifetime to buy this pen. And my price is $1 million. You got a checkbook? Are you going to write it? Do you think it's worth it? No. I'm going to give it to you. Get out of here. That's how much I'll sell it. Anybody want to buy it? 
You say, Kent, come on. They just told me it cost 52 cents. That's what she said it was worth. But I value it. And for me, this pen is worth a million dollars. Now, you can scoff at it. You can laugh at it. You can say a thing done right worth a flip. What in the world are you doing? doesn't matter what you think about it. The only thing that matters is what I think about it. Are you following where I'm going with this? That's how God loves us. See, the world looks at us like Brian did this pen, or Barb does. It costs 52 cents. And that's how the world looks at us. And it treats us that way. But God looks at us and says, to me, you're worth a million dollars. So when that guy comes to you and wants you to sell yourself cheap to him for a kiss or whatever, you say, no siree. In God's eyes, I'm worth millions of dollars. Can I get an amen? Amen. When the world tells you that you're a failure, when the world tells you that you're worthless and useless and no good and have no real impact, you can look at the world and say, that's your idea, but I want you to know God put a price tag on me and it says I'm worth millions of dollars. And he gave us that kind of love. I didn't give that to Brian because he deserved it. I gave it to him because I loved him. 1 John chapter 3, I want to read it from the message translation as we close. What marvelous love the Father has extended to us. Just look at it. We're called children of God, and that's who we really are. Don't let people define you. And we all get caught up in it. I'm in the insurance world. I'm out selling, and there's awards, and you begin to attach your value to your job, and you begin to attach your value to your relationship or to your parenting or whatever it is that you do. Don't let the world catch you in that. Your value has been given to you by God. God prizes you. God values you. God cherishes you. Let's change that. Let's say this together but we're going to change it from us to me and i want you to say it and i want you to take that pointer finger let me see it again and i want you to hit hard say it with me god prizes me god values me god delights in me for god so loved you that way. And we'll finish the rest next week. But I want to close with these words this morning from Romans. Turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. Because if you're a believer this morning, 
I want to invite you this morning to experience what Paul writes about. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, made right with God, come into our right relationship, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. By the shed blood that we sang a moment ago, through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, yuck, knowing that suffering produces endurance, good, and endurance produces character, awesome, and character produces hope, fantastic, and hope never disappoints us. Why? Because God's love has been trickled into our lives. Is that what you're saying? A drip. I'm sorry, a drip. God's love has been dripped into our hearts. Is that what it says? What does it say? Poured. Whoosh. It's putting your head into the bathtub to turn on the spigot and realizing that your wife forgot to turn the shower thing off. And suddenly it's called whoosh. I see some of you have had that happen to you. Anybody this morning? Okay, nobody this morning. God's love has been poured. Here's what I want to invite you to do this week, my friends, as believers, is bathe in that love. Don't jerk your head back out. Just say, Lord, keep it coming. Keep it coming. I need it. And if you're here this morning and you don't know God, you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're watching online and you've never made this decision before, I want to invite you to receive it. But here's one thing I've learned about love. It does have to be received. Every time there's a divorce, there's a decision to reject love. And, and I can choose to reject Cindy's love to me and not receive it and say no. I can choose to reject my parents' love or anyone else. You have to receive it. You say, well, how do I receive it, Can I? What do I do? What do I have to perform? There you go. How do I measure up? No. You come this morning and say, Lord, I'm not worthy of this great love that you have shown on Calvary. But today, I receive it as a gift from you. Lord, we thank you this morning for these words, these powerful, powerful words, and we've only looked at words this morning. But in a small way, they've helped us to kind of just unpack the greatest love from the greatest verse in the greatest book from the greatest God. It is a love that goes over our head and our ability to understand. And we marvel at it. May we bathe in it this week.